Bonanas for Bonanza with Dalton Wilcox is out now. Listen to cowboy poet Dalton Wilcox and his guests recap Bonanza every other Monday. Subscribe now on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. What's up? Hello, friends. <clears throat> oh, I was just talking to you, Tony. Oh, uh, hello. Hello Hi. to no one except for Andrew. Yeah, and Tony Zig. only. Tony and Zig only. Good morning only to black women, <laughs> Andrew and Zig. <laughs> That's me. What if anytime I talked in Twitter speak, that was my voice? <laughs> yes, girl, she ate that. <laughs> The fact that you're implicitly <laughs> stating that that isn't how your voice is all the time. What no. are you talking about? Drag me. <laughs> no, Tony, no. Um, this is the website uh, program. <laughs> Yo, is this racist? Oh, my God. Tell me it's not a website program. This I is a website you. program. Uh, Yo, is this racist? We're going to die. Where we are going to die. No, where we listen to your uh, voicemailed in uh, <laughs> questions about racism. Hell yes. Sometimes comments about Hell racism. yes. And we respond to the these website queries with the help of a special guest or guests. Nice. Yeah. I'm Tony Newsom. Website.com. My name is Andrew T. <laughs> What's at website.com? Right, hold on. We got to look. Website. Once you spake it into existence, you got to look. <laughs> it is for a business called website.com. <laughs> <laughs> they make websites. <laughs> I mean, fair. That Well played, internet. Hell yeah. If you did anything different, it would have been weird. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, internet. Website.com. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God, do we need do we need t-shirts that just say website.com? Is that the only well inoffensive merch we can <laughs> create? Unfortunately, it's a business. It's an existing business that we probably on some level don't agree with. Hey, get at us if you want to sponsor us, website.com. <laughs> We're a website radio program. <laughs> Um, wow, we've been trapped in this room for 80 hours. Yeah, we did a weird thing where we recorded some interviews, lovely interviews with lovely people, but now we're doing this part at the end. Too many too many talks. Too many talks, and too now many, we're left alone. It's like, <laughs> they got to escape, but we haven't. Yeah, and it was like we had smart, we had particularly smart, thoughtful people too hard. that we were talking to, too so now we're today. like, the, the babysitter's away. Too hard. Too hard of talk. <laughs> now we can just talk about website.com. Um, hey, how you been, Andrew? Um, good. Question? Good, I think. Um, yeah, I think I'm okay. I have no idea. I'm so cut out. Oh, I uh, bought an exercise bike. Excuse me. <laughs> I bought a 350-pound exercise bike from what? Costco. Wait. <laughs> So not like a Peloton. You're nope. not going elite on us. Hell no. You bought a senior citizen's workout bike. It was so heavy to get it up the <laughs> stairs. Let me tell you this. Um, that's g- genuinely the main thing that happened in my life. Where is it in your home? It's by the TV. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair. That's smart. Um, um, does it, it go fast? It, it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> 
Stand still. Well, well, well said. Well said. You're right. I'm an idiot. Um, no, I don't know. It's uh, it's just a. It's it's probably less good than an exercise bike you would get at a gym. But I got shamed into buying it because I only do the exercise bike at the gym. Uh-huh. And a uh, friend of the show, Jessica Gao, said I was quote an idiot. <laughs> What a wordsmith. Mm-hmm. She has an Emmy. <laughs> One of the smartest, quickest people. Yeah, she has an Emmy, but she can reduce you to rubble yeah. by just calling you an idiot. Anyway, so yeah, she she sort of shamed me into buying this exercise bike, and now I own it. It was so hard to get up the stairs and put it together. I said I didn't put it together right. It doesn't matter. Oh, God. No, this is good news. This is a good development. This is what the people tune in for. Yep. They like it. How are you doing? I'm good. I laid some flagstone at my home. Ooh. I had flagstone remnants that were free, and so therefore they are mismatched. So it was a fun jigsaw puzzle to try and make a patio out of them. Mm -hmm. And I think I did a pretty good job. That's fun labor if you want to come over and do some more like uh, turn of the century prison labor type shit. The the common thread for our weeks is we were lugging heavy shit. Hey, man, when times get tough, when the world goes to shit, (laughs) your biceps better be ready. (laughs) It was really my mid-back that is the problem. Yeah. um, I'm not feeling great. No, anyway. we're, we're both in bad shape, but uh, we're getting through it. We, I feel like we fucked up the racism news. There was a bunch of racist cop news. How did we fuck it up? We didn't pay close enough attention. <laughs> I feel like um, there um, was there was uh, um, a couple days ago, October twenty fifth, a bunch of uh, NYPD officers mm-hmm. pulled guns. Many many officers pulled guns on one black teenager who had jumped the turnstile. They were ready to maybe kill this kid Mm -hmm. for one subway ride. Yeah, for a $2.75 fare, I believe is the rate these days. Why? All right. Yeah. I mean, I lived in Chicago, but I've never lived in New York. Why is fare jumping a punishable Capital by offense. death offense? It's only if you're black. Um, okay. Or Latino, I suppose. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's because cops are racist. I mean, they, that is a thing that they have been ramping up is um, fair evasion. Um, there's a lot more cops. Um, and uh, for some reason, Mayor Cuomo is not requiring that they have body cams. Oof. Um, you know... Not on a maybe every time this happens and not every cop, but this is sanctioning the murder of innocent or misdemeanor, let's say, people. Yeah, it it really made me, seeing that video, watching uh, other black people who presumably had not jumped the turnstiles and had not done anything wrong, um, sitting in that subway car like one guy just sat perfectly still with his hands raised. Yeah. People were like running. It's like, it's just striking fear. Yeah. It's terror for, it's not deserved for people who have quote done something wrong, but yeah, it's not deserved. It, it is literally deserved just like white supremacy putting, and also the fucking NYPD of all people. You cannot trust <sighs> to execute this um, without being racist murderers. Allegedly. <laughs> But you know what I mean? I'm just like, ugh. It's it's like, I know that that like they're divorced enough and and there's enough distance. But it's mm. like this policy, 
and this or this like not even policy, this like set of policies, like is just signing innocent black people's death warrants. For what? Look, cops are gonna be racist for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um maybe this is a little bit of a tap to our our interview, but you know, local politics is the way you start to get a handle on the cops because the cops are local to you. Well, yeah, and I just think having, you know, people from different backgrounds in positions of political power on a local level starts to right some of the wrongs that societally have allowed institutions yeah. like the police to function under a set of rules yeah. that— Or at least stop the the bleeding or the massive obvious injustice, maybe— mm. It's Maybe. a direction. It is uh, a thing to do, that's for sure. Yeah. I don't fucking know. There's another, uh, uh, at least this cop uh, resigned, racist-ass Zachary Christensen, um, beat up a, sex, a sixth grader. <laughs> this video is so disturbing. Watching this young girl, mm-hmm. a, a child, yeah. tell him to stop and have him just keep shouting. It's like a bad sketch. Have him keep shouting, stop resisting, as all she's doing is like trying to just like get away from him and lay on the ground. Yeah. Um, even after a school administrator told the cop that she was not a threat and to stop and tried to intervene, uh, he kept using what's clearly excessive force. Is there a word past excessive force? Just like Yeah, I don't know. All of the force? Yeah. It's it's like the all the the deference we give to cops in their decision making processes is state sanctioned racism. Like it's just like, oh, he feared for his life. Oh, he thought he was resisting. It's like the fact that we allow like a population that is rife with racism to have like to to not be able to question or or um like you know interrogate their decision making mm. is racism. That's it. I don't know. <laughs> fuck the police. Generally, fuck the police. But specifically, those police. <laughs> I truly didn't know what the answer was to that. <laughs> this wasn't like a bit we worked out. I was like, oh, he said generally. What does he mean specifically? Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. I know. It's always tough for me. I'm like, I, I come from a family of cops. So yeah. it's a weird, it's weird. It's yeah. weird, man. I definitely know good ones. I know not so good ones. Yeah. Turns out it takes all types and the institution itself is a little troubled. So (laughs) (laughs) currently it mostly takes one specific type. Yeah. We law enforcement would be the same as it is today. If it were whoops, all racists, whoops, all racists. Is that like a whoops, all berries? Mm -hmm. Have you thought about marketing this? Is Uh, it a cereal or is it a law enforcement organization? (laughs) That's the beauty of it. It's both. Oh. <laughs> the racist crunch berries come out and just beat up people. So wait, now you think it's the berries that are the racist in this cereal analogy. The, cr- the, the, the crunches. The white Brillo pads. <laughs> white Brillo pads. They're just very rough. Do we call those the crunches? If it's yeah. crunch and berries. Yeah. What's the cereal called? Crunch Cap- berries? Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch. I guess they're like the Sailor Crunchies. Sailor Crunchies. I was more a Sailor Venus fan myself. Oh, boy. Um, this is, someone likes it. Zig is smiling right now. Zig, yeah? You into it? Oh, we got a thumbs up from Zig. Okay, so y'all ever heard of the uh, large rock mountain? I don't know if it's a rock or a mountain called Uluru in Australia. Mm-hmm. 
I first heard of this reading a damn Bill Bryson travel book called In a Sunburned Country, where I was like, uh, most, mostly a great book, has some problematic moments, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's remarkable to me how little we as uh, North Americans know about Australia in general and even less about the indigenous culture there. Mm-hmm. Um, I include myself in that ignorant cadre. Uh, but <laughs> again, oops, all racists. I don't know. Just throw, we can name it whatever we want. <laughs> We're workshopping it. Uh, so the Anagu folks, the local indigenous people who have recently been re-granted ownership over this rock that is a sacred place for them, extremely sacred place, have for years been asking tourists and Australian locals not to climb it. The ban finally went through, just like as of recording a couple of days ago. And of course, because there's about to be a ban on a thing that people want to do, a huge queue is like a huge line of people to go and climb this thing in its final days to get in under the wire, I yeah. guess. Just get the, just just defile it. Just the, the one last way to fucking say fuck you to indigenous people. Truly. Want to get in under the deadline. Got to get in under the deadline on this rock that they've been begging people not to climb. They say, this is our church. This is our sacred land. It's like climbing a, a temple. It's like whatever's the most sacred thing and whatever the fuck you worship, this is that for these people. And they're saying, please don't put your fucking muddy ass keen sandals all over it while you struggle up the side in a broken down camelback that isn't full with enough water. Because that's like, the other problem is that y'all keep dying up there. There's been 37 deaths on Uluru because people don't go up there prepared. Oh God. So not only are people, imagine something that's sacred to you and people are dying on it because they're ill-prepared when you told them not to go on it anyway. Anyway, this really made me mad and it just felt like such a, such a huge fuck you. Yeah. There's signs that say, please don't climb on this. Like, please, this is our home. Right. Like having there be a rush on it Ugh. is like, is truly revolting. Like the people in that line and the fact that like, it doesn't dawn on you that like, this is gross and we are all gross and complicit in this together mm-hmm. and staying in that line is just, ugh. well, some of the excerpts from people were like, yeah, I know it's bad, but it's on my bucket list. You heard that a lot. Or like, I know, but like, I just had to. And then my favorite and by favorite hint, I mean, I hate these people are the ones who say like, well, I didn't really think about the significance cause that's not my religion. But then once I got on top of it, I felt really connected to it. It's yeah. like, bitch, no, you don't get Fuck to have an eat, you. pray, love catharsis on top of the rock when you were told not to go on the fucking rock. Also, like, local indigenous people were like, you know, we have, like, classes and, like, craft things. You can take, like, a tour, a horseback tour around the base of it where we tell you about the significance. Yeah. There's all nope. these events where if you want to feel connected to it, you can do it in a less shitty way. Anyway, I'm so glad it's closed. Now any um, visitors who attempt to climb it will be charged, like, six grand I hope they fucking bleed these people dry because you know there will be all these like adventurers. Adventurers love doing shit that's illegal. Yeah. They love yeah. it. I'm like, just fucking don't. Leave it alone. I don't know. Outdoors people. I know I the get mad about it. This worst. is my Andrew Yang. Oh. Shit. You're mad at Andrew Yang because he's touching into your realm of humans. That's true. <laughs> I'm mad because I'm like, yeah, I like to climb shit too, but if people tell me not to for a sensitive reason. Yeah. I get worked up. It's just, it's just, you don't like the fact that you feel like you, you need to shit on someone's religion. Right. Specifically like people who. To further your fake spirituality journey. Yeah. It's, oh. Get out of there. 
Anyway, that's fucking gross. Uh, yeah. Is there anything positive? Um. Um. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I saw a coyote. Oh yeah. Yeah, I looked him right in the eyes and I screamed. <laughs> I went, oh, coyote! <laughs> it just came out of my mouth. I was carrying laundry. He was too close to me. Yeah. And we both, we startled each other. He looked at me like, uh, huh. I, didn't, I didn't think people were here. Oh, shit. And I looked at him like, you're not supposed to be here. And I went, coyote! And then he turned on his heels and ran the other way. He was real cute. They're just, they're just very bad dogs. <laughs> they're bad impish dogs, aren't they? Yeah. Do you, uh, do you see any wildlife? Did I see any wildlife? <laughs> what a weird question. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think I've seen any wildlife in quite a Zig, long time. you got any wildlife sightings? My friend did send me a video of a lizard Okay, that in, in Miami. Why? Maybe a gecko? I don't know. Maybe it was an amphibian? <laughs> Salamander? These are all options. Did you see anything? Uh, no wildlife, but I got um, a smog test this, or smog test this morning, and there was like a... A, a garage puppy there, just hanging out. Like a Malamute mix. Aww. It was very adorable. All right. I love a I love a dog at work. Man, this is great. This is good. <laughs> this See, is one we got maybe a- best <laughs> episodes of all time. <laughs> maybe we always just got to end with animal sightings. Oh my god! Wait. Also, um, we didn't. I truly did not remember anything about Halloween, but this is this is our Halloween episode. Oh yeah, happy Halloween. Please don't put makeup on your happy face. Happy Halloween. <laughs> um did anyone go in blackface this year? No one famous went in blackface. I guess Justin Ooh. Trudeau used the ball to shoe polish. Um Yasser Lester, a very funny comedian, had a great tweet that was like, yo, you think Trudeau's gonna lay low for Halloween or go even bigger? <laughs> oh wait, did he did he also I'm I think paraphrasing him from memory also might have been someone else on Twitter, but was just like right now some white person is making a decision that will destroy their lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. I can't wait to find out who it is. Halloween is great, but Halloween party weekend already went, came and went. So uh-huh. I think we would have figured, you know what? Hey. Yeah. We'll figure it out. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Uh, but we are here with an incredible guest. Yeah. Uh, our I think our first politician, I'm pretty sure. It's definitely I- our first politician. I think the show's first politician. Um, but someone very cool. Yes, uh, Nithya Raman, uh, which, you know, we introduce her, but she's running the, <laughs> don't worry, we'll introduce her properly because I'm about to fuck it up is what I was basically saying. Uh, no, she's running for city council here in Los Angeles. So even if you don't live in Los Angeles, um, you know, we tried to talk about some shit that's uh, yeah, I mean, applicable universally. I think a thing is <laughs> we've, we've, we talk a big game about doing shit locally and thinking about how, you know, local politics, local power, local you know, help um, is if you're feeling helpless a way uh, to make things feel better for yourselves. And yeah, we talk about that and it was great. Yeah. She's someone a, who knows she's a what delight. they're talking about. What awesome. a chill politician. I haven't met many, but I mean, she and I almost broke the Earwolf espresso machine together. So we had a real mm. bonding moment. Let's hear it now. Yeah. What's up, it's your girl, Tawny Newsome. Hello. This is Andrew T. Our podcast, Yo, Is This Racist, has some premium bonus episodes coming soon. On these bonus episodes, we'll be taking additional voicemails that are, quote, too hot for the main feed. That's right. Get your extra half hour of roasting racists every Friday starting May 1st. What's that, Andrew? 
Toddy came up with a great name for this already. Yo, is this raciest on Stitcher Premium? Uh, it's just us. It's just the Yo team. It's just me, Andrew, Matt. Maybe Jordan will pepper in here. Who knows? Maybe Kev. Maybe Kev will weigh in. It's going to be Any a family show. Any goddamn thing could happen. <laughs> Absolutely. No guests, just voicemails. Some voicemails that are follow-ups or things that we didn't want to drop in the main feed because it's not normally what we do. That's what's going to be in the Yo, Is This Raciest catalog. Oh, and if you're a racist that calls in thinking that we'll give you attention, we might just put you on Yo, Is This Raciest, so you have to sign up and pay money to get your little racist jollies. That's right. Now, if you don't have Stitcher Premium, I'm going to tell you something. You can go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code Yo for a one-month free trial. How about that? That is dope. Yo, is this raciest premium bonus episodes coming out 5-1 on Stitcher Premium. For a free one-month trial of Stitcher Premium, use code YO. That's Y-O for a free month of Stitcher Premium. Howdy, folks. It's me, Dalton Wilcox, Poet Laureate of the West. I'm happy to announce that the City Slickers at Earwolf have finally given me my own podcast. It's called Bananas for Bonanza. In each episode, me and my co-hosts, Mutt Taylor from The Journeyman and Christian entrepreneur Amy Sleverson will discuss one episode of the classic television western series Bonanza. It's the only podcast you'll ever need about the only television show that ever was. Bananas for Bonanza is out now with new free episodes every other Monday. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also listen to bonus episodes of Bananas for Bonanza only on Stitcher Premium. For a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code BANANAS. Bananas for Bonanza. That's bananas spelled correctly. B-O-N-A-N-A-S. No, I still think of myself as new to L.A. Really? Yeah. <laughs> as new to L.A.? Genuinely. Well, it's also like I think I have like such a terrible grasp on streets, directions, neighborhoods, places I've been, ah. et cetera. So largely everything's new to me. Yeah. Nithya, are you a, um, a GPS person or are you a uh, – do you know where you're going? Um, <laughs> are you a person who knows where they're going? <laughs> or No. I often know where I'm going. That's impressive. Good. Well, I'm an urban planner, so I've done a lot of, you know, looking at maps and generally orienting myself in the city. See, and that is a good a place as any to <laughs> let you know our guest. We're here with Nithya Raman, candidate for LA City Council District 4. The election is in March? Mm-hmm. The election's in March. Guys, if you live in LA, get you have plenty of time to not Move be busy. Move to District 4. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you have plenty you. of time I'm to move pack to this district, district and make yeah. this happen. Yep. Yeah. What's the opposite of gerrymandering? Where just is that just a podcast host encouraging yes. its listeners to move to a place? Classic. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think that's in the um, whatever whatever those the did Alexander Hamilton write a bunch of papers. I don't remember Probably. anything about how government works. It's like court packing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There we go. We'll just um, packing. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the margins that a city council election is won by in March, come on, there's enough LA listeners right now. We could do it. Everyone move to District 4. Come on. Look up where that is. Yeah, what are the what are the kind of boundaries loosely? Oh, it's of, a huge district. It goes all the way. F- yeah. Um, and all the districts in LA are really big. So each district has about 250,000 people in it. And uh, there's only 15 council members in the entire city. Wow. Yeah, so each council member has a lot of power, and it's a weak mayor, 
strong mm-hmm. council system. Mm-hmm. So it's actually an incredibly important seat. And this particular district is really oddly shaped. It goes from Silver Lake all the way to Sherman Oaks. Oh, geez. Yeah. And oh, it wow. goes through the Hollywood Hills, but it dips into Koreatown, Hollywood, oh. Miracle Mile area. It's just a huge, huge district. Wow. With so many different types of people and I'm guessing issues facing them because that's those are really diverse neighborhoods. Yeah. They are. I would say that everywhere I go, people really want to talk about housing and homelessness. That's mm-hmm. like the number one issue that people are concerned about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they are approaching it in really different ways. They're coming at it from really, really different perspectives. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And you've been really vocal about how uh, LA specifically has been criminalizing homelessness so much. Yeah. Well, LA and, and a lot of cities actually have a lot of laws that make it illegal just to be homeless. Right. So, like, uh, they make it illegal to sleep in your car, for example, or. Uh, sit or sleep on the street. And, you know, that's not unique to us. That's, you know, a a lot of cities have that. But these laws are really counterproductive. Um, People get citations for them. And then if you don't pay the, the tickets, then you can get put in jail. And if you're somebody who's trying to start the journey to get into a house, mm-hmm. getting ticketed and then, you know, going to jail, that sets you back on that path. And it's it's really not, yeah. you know, it's not productive at all. And uh, I actually wrote this report when I worked at City Hall a number of years ago, looking at how the city was spending on homelessness. And I found that the city was actually spending over $100 million across departments on just responding to homelessness. Mm-hmm. Departments were talking to each other and they were spending four times as much putting homeless residents in jail as they were actually providing services and outreach to actually get people off the streets. And to me, that just feels incredibly counterproductive and punitive. You know, yeah. It's not really not, not effective. And we could be putting that money towards solutions instead of punishment. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed that one of the tenets of your plan, is that the right language? One of the points. Tenets? Tenets. Who knows? Tenets doesn't matter. Who knows? Um, is about uh, a rent freeze. Yeah. Has that ever happened in LA? Uh, not to my knowledge, but it's actually pretty easy to do. They've done it in other cities. Yeah. New York did it for two years. Uh, I think they froze rents on something like a million apartments. Uh-huh. Uh, and in LA, uh, something like 80% of our rental stock is actually covered by something called the Rent Stabilization Ordinance, the RSO which means that once you're in the apartment, you can only raise rents by a particular amount every year. Mm. And that number varies between 3 and 8% based on the consumer price index. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like one of the biggest issues with housing and homelessness is that I feel like the city just hasn't been doing enough to prevent the fall of people into homelessness. Mm-hmm. And rent prices are, are very, very much connected to that. Mm-hmm. Every time the rent goes up by 5%, another 2,000 people fall into homelessness. That's what research has found. And so to me, if you know, if we're really facing a crisis in Los Angeles with regards to homelessness, then we should be looking at every single avenue that we could be to make sure that we're preventing more people from falling into homelessness. And we have control over those RSO apartments. We could easily institute a rent freeze and say, until this crisis is over, yeah, we're not going to raise rents anymore. Actually, we did the opposite this past year for the first time. Uh, rents actually went up by 4% instead of 3%. Oh, wow. Because there was an increase in the CPI. And to me, it's just so wrongheaded to be doing that in the time of a crisis. Uh, it's 
it's frustrating because it feels like part of the problem with this whole issue is that city council has a number of ways through which they can actually impact this mm. and they they don't they choose not to act on them mm-hmm. and so a lot yeah. of the work of my campaign has really been to try and talk about the potential for the city to transform itself and to transform opportunities for people and and make it a better place for people to live here yeah does it feel like i i, I kind of felt like um LA, like many um, of the cities I have lived in, are these sort of places that have, you know, liberal-ish feeling vibes. Um, But then often, you know, either when rubber hits the road, things, you know, the the sort of not in my backyard kind of idea, or or, um, the reality of putting a lot of people's ideals into action are (laughs) hard to actually get to happen um i don't know yeah i was just wondering yeah i i actually i'm an optimist Mm -hmm. that's part of the reason i'm running i'm really excited about the potential for change in la and i'm excited for people uh to be able to give back to their communities Mm -hmm. no matter what that means i've seen it happen in my own neighborhood i started this homeless coalition and we have had hundreds of volunteers come out and help serve mm. people experiencing homelessness in my neighborhood. All we had to do was open up an opportunity for them to do that. And the mm. floodgates just opened. Mm-hmm. I feel like most people want to help. And I feel like we saw that over and over again in LA. We've now taxed ourselves twice to help people experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. We did it through Measure H. We did it through HHH. And those were voted in you know, uh, by overwhelming majorities. And so I actually feel like the majority of people want to help. And what happens is that when you have programs or policies that are put into place, a very vocal minority is very loud and they get too much attention. And I think they they are able to derail positive change that can happen. But actually, we can do a lot to neutralize those voices or to bring in a lot more positive voices into the mix. And that's the kind of work that we need to be doing in L.A., the disproportionate number of black people that are homeless compared to uh, housed black persons in the city. Isn't it, did you say 4% it's so, of the city? It's 9% of our population in LA is black and black Angelinos make up 38% of our homeless population. And I think that's, it's shocking. Yeah. And I think it makes it when you when you realize the extent of criminalization and violence that's imposed on people experiencing homelessness and then you factor the racial element into it as well i think it makes it all the more troubling mm-hmm. and something that we really need to be taking a good long hard look at yeah um and then the other thing that i wanted to say is that we've actually put into place you know homelessness is one example uh, the worst example, the most egregious example, but kind of the most, or, or, or symptom rather, mm-hmm. I think of a broader housing crisis that we're facing in Los Angeles. I mean, the cost of housing has gone through. Insane. Through mm-hmm. the roof. Yeah. Um, we have found, you know, so for example, if you look at rents, rents have gone up by like 32%, while median rent or income has actually gone down by 3%. Wow. So we've just had an incredible amount of price increases in LA. And the way that that's been playing out is also, uh, you know, it plays out on working people, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. on people of color. 
And, you know, people who left L.A. are all people who are making less than $50,000 a year. Mm -hmm. It's Black Angelinos. It's uh, Latinx Angelinos. Like, we have to be very conscious of the fact that our inability to build the kind of housing that people can afford and to keep prices lower is having impacts on our city that are keeping us from being a welcoming place and an inclusive place. And I think we need to be very, very clear about about that and, and talk about that. Yeah, it's like directly contributing to our shrinking diversity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, wanted to b- talk a little bit about just because um, I was going to say we're a national podcast, but we're a whatever podcast. Who, who the hell knows? We're international, man. There could be somebody <laughs> Canadians, somebody on in space is listening to us right now. Who knows? God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> Please don't listen to this in space. You have, shut it off. You have better things to do. We're gonna we're gonna fuck up the <laughs> oxygen supply. I don't understand. I don't know. Enjoy your works. ice cream. Um, no, no, but but one thing that um, we'd been um, sort of talking about uh, in a theoretical sense. Um, since really the uh, election, I think was was a moment where a lot of our listeners were expressing a lot of frustration and sadness and and things like that um, about national politics, sort of counterbalanced with um, what you can do on a local level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess so. Yeah, in a, in in the uh, whatever way makes sense. Just. Um, is there sort of, uh, do you have like a, a case for like local politics or, or that kind of engagement or even not politics, I guess, maybe just like beyond politics, like things, you know, the the efficacy or, or whatever to, 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 you know, counteract people's helplessness or feelings of helplessness, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, I think local politics and local action mm-hmm. are both so incredibly important. I'm going to talk about L.A., but I think this is very broadly applicable to many, many places across America. I think a lot of people in L.A. feel helpless because they watch Mm -hmm. an America that's changing or that's moving away from their own values. And they feel helpless because their votes don't matter, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the national level because of the Electoral College. They think that, uh, you know, they can't do anything to counteract some of the changes that have been happening. But in reality, if you look at Los Angeles, we are so far from some of those progressive goals that we have for the country as a whole. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much work to be done locally to realize those goals. And if you make an impact in LA, LA, the city of LA has 4 million people, county of LA has 10 million people. You are making an impact on a population that's bigger than many states yeah. in America. Yeah. I can't remember at some wow. point, it must have been again with, uh, uh, I forgot who I was talking to, but um, just about LA City Council probably has as much like per head power, per capita power as like the senator from Wyoming. <laughs> It, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. I like, mean, in I, terms of people. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know the exact number Something comparison, like, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if that. Or was it's a, closer to that than exactly. any other. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> Which is nuts to think it's about. It's really nuts. Yeah. yeah, and I think to myself about you know some of that unrealized work, or you know how much more we could be doing here to impact you know racial disparities and access to health and access to education in. In you know across the issues that we all care about so much, and it is to me it's inspiring you know because you can mm-hmm. do it right here and that that's really why I felt like I needed to run and why I feel like 
working at the city level is so important, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? I yeah. think it's, it's I, I feel like we can have more impact here now as a city council member than you can as a member of Congress with that Senate standing in your way, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. sure, right. Something can actually happen. You can help exactly. actual human people yeah. who exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who are in front of you and need help every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is inspiring. Oh, you know what's not inspiring? <laughs> Racism. <laughs> well, here let's let's do let's do at least. How was that segue? At least one. So so we're gonna break the mold a little bit on the show because we, uh, for not the first time in a long while, but just you know we're not accustomed to having a guest who knows the fuck they're talking about. So, <laughs> so rude to our previous guests. <laughs> they know they know what they did. No, but um, you know, so so we'll uh we'll could we'll, we'll do a voicemail now, but um, you know, we might not get through all three that we normally have queued up. Who knows? Guys, who knows? If anything could happen. Here we go. Hey Andrew, Tawny, Zig if you're there, and guests. Um just I'm I'm a I'm a mixed race gentleman, uh and I'm married to a white woman, and we're thinking about moving, um, but the places that we find seem to be in these neighborhoods that are quickly being gentrified, and I, I just want, like, am I part of the problem if I move in as a person of color into one of these neighborhoods with a white woman? Um, yeah, I don't know. Thanks, guys. Oh, boy. That is such a point. I feel like a lot of people have this question. Like, I know a lot of... You know, pretty broke are actors and artists who move to LA, white, whatever, all kinds of people who move here and are just trying to find, as we've been talking about, affordable, reasonable housing that is not four hours away from where they roughly need to be every week. Mm-hmm. And they, a lot of people have that question of like, am I gentrifying? Am I kicking out families that have been here? Blah, blah, blah. Like, what's the difference between being? quote, part of the problem and just having to live somewhere that makes sense for your income. I mean, <laughs> not to like I feel put like all that on you. <laughs> I don't mean like that we, on you, Nithya. No, we I, both looked at Nithya like, what's you got his right? Because <laughs> we I don't know like what normally, we're talking about. I'd say something like that and like a comedian sitting across from me would be like, I know, right? I live in blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, but it carries more weight when we ask you, I realize. So well, I, I don't know that I have a good answer to this question, but I will say that I think people... F- a lot of what happens in Los Angeles, especially around questions around gentrification uh, or many many of the issues that we're facing as individuals here, part of the problem is that we're taking on as individuals the failures of our housing policy as a whole, mm-hmm. right? So if there was more housing that was affordable near your job, near your uh you know, near your friends or in parts of the city where you wanted to live, I think the gentrification question wouldn't come up as strongly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also think that if we didn't feel like we were displacing other people when we came into a neighborhood, and that is also something that policy can help to fix, Mm -hmm. then I think some of the fraught questions around gentrification would be less fraught. And I feel like actually we should be expecting more from our city that they don't put us in this position where we're being forced to choose between having an affordable place to live, 
and potentially kicking out another family, mm-hmm. you know, or paying way too much for your housing in another place. Like it's not, those are not good options, Yeah, right. but those are options that are given to you by a city that's not doing its job and producing the kind of housing that you need or at keeping prices where it needs to be or in protecting tenants and, and homeowners from displacement from their current neighborhoods. Mm. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I, I hear this question and, you know, I I feel I feel his pain. Yeah, yeah, of course. His pain also sounds exacerbated by the fact that his partner is white. <laughs> like he made a point to be like, I'm moving to this neighborhood with this white woman. <laughs> but it is an interesting thing that we think of gentrifiers as white people, like yeah, societally, culturally. And so I wonder. I'm like, if this mixed race man's partner wasn't white. Would he be less hard on himself about <laughs> moving into this up and coming neighborhood, or not up and coming, but you know this well, neighborhood? Well, it's sort of the, like, sort of like the flip of the, um, you know, really like because class and race are tied together, mm. we all picture a white person when we <laughs> when we say the word gentrifier. Mm-hmm. Probably not, like really the case in terms of economically changing a neighborhood mm. or like culturally changing a neighborhood. But yeah, we all think of a white dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's probably, there's a sort of similar element of like, I feel like we all feel it, it's a little bit like the word racist. It's loaded. It is difficult to actually dig down into it. I mean, I think the, the other problem is I think, uh, can't speak for Nithya, but like people like Tani and I probably fall into the category of gentrifiers. Um, rather, you I know. bought weird desert land. Does that make me who do I gentrify from? The coyotes? Well, that's different. That's that's just you. Uh, that's me infiltrating uh, some rural shit. Yeah, but I think I think you know, even if nothing else, just having the luxury of having careers in the arts means sure. I know you mean wherever the fuck we live, it's going to be a fucking problem. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, there comes a, a, a an privilege, of, privilege and, yeah. of yeah being able to purchase something somewhere. Yeah, or yeah, or do whatever the hell it is we do, and we change the complexion of neighborhoods because of the types of products we buy, mm-hmm. the languages we speak, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, this is an interesting thing because I think it's a thing that like you know the people who listen to this show are probably often in some way guilty of. But it's a little mm-hmm. bit like the advice we give to people who are doing quote-unquote racist things because we all subconsciously are complicit in this, you know, racist-ass society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Wherein, like, don't beat yourself up about it. Like, you can do things, um, you know, be it politically. Um, Knowing the, your neighbors goes yeah, a long way. So yeah. many people just don't know their neighbors. I struggle with that. But I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so like the, it's really, that's, that's like a really interesting way of framing it too. Like, Nithya, I thought like, it is like, why do we have these choices? Like force someone out or don't live here. Yeah. Or live far away in a white middle-class enclave somewhere. We don't want those. Yeah. (laughs) We don't want sequestered whites. Oh God. (laughs) That's such a depressing way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I um, think, you know, I think we could do a lot more to demand better options. But I mean, I'm going to be beating this horse all, all yeah. the time. But I think if we paid more attention and got involved locally, those don't have to be our options. And I mm-hmm. feel like, unfortunately, those are the options in so many places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Do you think it, it does it feel like um, this sort of uh, community action helps? I, I just I, maybe this is truly wishful thinking as I'm about to say it out loud, but like, does does that sort of you know be it, again participating politically or like you know through outreach or, or volunteering or some way? Like, I do actually feel like, and maybe again, wishful thinking slash. <laughs> just justifying my own behavior like does does that sort of smooth out those types of community issues or things like that i mean like i don't know like like changing the character of the neighborhood at least when you're participating in it feels a little bit better mm. am i rationalizing here I, I mean, I it's okay if you don't want to say no. I don't, I don't, no, I don't know. I, I just I think I think community engagement is so important, you know. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't know whether it smooths out other things or, mm-hmm. or whatever. But I think we all have an obligation to be involved and to get engaged. And mm-hmm. I think part of part of the reason, you know, I don't want to get into some kind of national national analysis or whatever but mm-hmm. i think part of the situation that we're in today nationally is because we a lot of us didn't pay attention for a while you mm-hmm. know i think we looked away from politics we looked away from civic engagement we looked away from you know caring about stuff and i'm so excited that we're caring is cool again mm-hmm. <laughs> i love that <laughs> i caring love it. is cool very cool <laughs> oh man all right well while we're on that let's try one more voicemail let's try Here it all right, so I teach at a very black school. I love our curriculum. We have uniforms. Our kids get to wear a shirt that says My Life Matters, which I think is really phenomenal and empowering for them, and they enjoy it. However, we have, like, six black students, six white students. Um, how do I tell the six white students that when they wear My, My Life Matters shirts, it is different for them and that those connotations change? Not a question. I know that it's racist. <laughs> Thank you. I love you. Bye. <laughs> oh, caller. I love the pivot at the end. A strong dismount. Thank you for getting it under 30 seconds, too. That was really what a champ. Phenomenal. We roast our callers because sometimes they talk too much. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, they said complex issues and it's tough and we get it and we love you all, but sometimes it's radio. You sometimes gotta keep people, it under a minute. It's sometimes just, they just ramble on and they want to tell us the ins and outs of their whole college relationships. And you're just like, and then we also make fun of them for talking too fast. That's so true. So the thing is, you can't win. Yeah, well, so it's like when win. you go to a conference and somebody gets up and it's like, well, I don't really have a question. I'm yeah. Yeah, like, okay, so you just want to hear yourself talk. So what you have is a, a fledgling podcast, yeah. sir. <laughs> you need to just, just get talk. a talk. Find another place to talk. Just yeah. get a microphone. Uh, they sell a nice little podcasting unit you can buy now. You scream into your phone often. Honestly, we did once. It was bad, though. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, yeah, um, the, this, ca- this caller uh, cracks me up because she's like... Uh, she knows the answer. Everybody knows the answer. She sounds like she's already doing it, right? She's telling the children this well, is it's, different. Well, it's rough because I think it's one of those things where functionally you are a school teacher <laughs> and you're telling, you're singling out like, again, six white kids yeah. um, for probably kind of a difficult conversation. Um, I'm like, I did. How old are they though? I mean, who cares? Um, <laughs> my, my actual, uh, the reason, uh, Wanted to put this in front of uh, Nithya, who I think is our first politician we've ever had on the show. Oh, yeah. um, where, where, just, just you know, on on a national level, this sort of relates to the all lives matter idea that is like 
a piece of rhetoric that is ju- it means white supremacy but you know it requires traversing the dog whistle essentially it is dismissive um, of uh, a movement that was started to correct um, yeah. the fact that black lives were appearing to not matter yeah exactly i i'm just wondering i don't know if there's like if if as you are learning and and getting into like speaking in public in the way that your words can be utterly twisted and taken apart not on this show this show's perfect. <laughs> oh, but... you mean we don't twist and take people's words apart? <laughs> no, I mean, we the, don't. We can barely keep track of our own. In but... the context of this, yeah. Yeah. But just, just wondering if, you know, if there's what that experience has been like or how, you know, I don't know. I guess it's political speech, really. It's just like fucking hard. Yeah, it's really hard. I think, oh man, this is going to be such a boring answer. Please. I feel, I feel... That's all right. Okay. Well, there's no boring answers. Well, wait, wait, I'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I said that with such confidence. I know, it's very nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it is, I think we're living in a very complex time. And mm-hmm. I think we're living in a time when people are learning and people are at different stages of learning. And I just feel like all, I try and just lead with my values wherever I can mm-hmm. and hope that that gets me to a place where people give me the benefit of the doubt and are willing to listen to me and and are willing to educate me if I'm saying something wrong. And I, I don't know. Not not probably not the you know that's such a goody two shoes answer. I guess <laughs> that's all right. Oh, fair enough. We need some goody two shoes on this show because we're we're not a of baddie we're, bad feet. I think we're probably too mean to people. <laughs> I think that's the main thing. They come for the cutting biting commentary. Um, and then they get this. I, I guess I'm like I, I've said this before. Like I don't really think there's anything wrong with in a healthy supportive teacher who's on your side kind of way for a teacher to tell white students just the the subtleties and the yeah. differences of wearing a shirt like that because black children and children of color and children from immigrant parents have gotten these types of speeches since we were very, very young, probably much younger than these kids were about mm-hmm. how we're looked at different, about how we need to be twice as good to get half as much about how, you know, insert whatever Brown or immigrant parent narrative. Um, so, and we could handle it. Sometimes they were rough, but like, if true. you know, if we if we were five years old and we were told like, hey, the world's going to look at you differently. So like, you know, I remember my dad telling me my shoes always had to be clean because like white people will think you're dirty. So like, you just can never have like dirty shoes. And I'd be, I was like five and I was like, but I'm playing. Like, why do my shoes have to be clean? But like, I, I got it or I got it enough. Yeah. I think huh. you can have those conversations in a supportive way. And I think that more people should be having them with white kids because they what what talks are they getting <laughs> about how to deal with us? I, I'm truly asking. Like, I don't know what talks white kids get about how to deal with brown kids. Uh, I think little to none. Yeah, so maybe there needs to be a little more. Thing. And if it can start with like, hey, yeah, this shirt is great for everyone. It's good that you're wearing it. Here's how it's a little different. I think that's a lovely place to start. Here's my proposal, teacher. <clears throat> get uh, did it? Did you say what color the the shirts were? Let's just say you know, get get a, a sharpie or a silver sharpie. Oh no! <laughs> Depending on what's going to show up best on the shirt. Um, and so for the white kids under my life matters. Uh huh. Just say, I don't mean it that way. <laughs> I know this kind of sounds like the shit that racist people say. 
but this was to be in solidarity with my black classmates. Andrew, the Sharpie's going to wash out when they wash the t-shirt. Draw it on every day. (laughs) (laughs) Draw it on every day. And that's the lesson you have to teach your white kids every day. Yeah. Anyway, just two (laughs) equally good proposals, I think, is (laughs) the thing we all have to keep in mind is that Uh we provide a panoply of solutions here, and they're all equally good. One is not worse than the other. No, I would never compare any of our solutions. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I love when teachers call in because, like, well, we're very clear that we're not authorities in any way. We're definitely not authorities they with always teachers. Ask us how to deal with kids, and we're like, and we like, don't you guys fucking have some know. Of the toughest jobs. You have the toughest job, uh, one of them ever. Mm-hmm. It's got to be so difficult, and you really take on so much to shape future adult humans. <laughs> and you're asking us for yeah, what shit? you call we're kids? Gonna, I, future adults. Yeah, I don't I, like the word kid. <laughs> I'm so glad that they're calling in. I wish that when I was growing up, my teachers called in to talk about <laughs> race and, yeah. that, they like talk, ask, right? and to, that they had talked to me about race. Yeah. I experienced a ton of racism growing up. And Did you have a majority white school or neighborhood? Yeah, majority white. I grew up outside of Boston, which is... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, We've said some things about Boston. <laughs> we won't repeat them now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thank so. you, Boston. We love some of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I just wish that we... It took me a long time even to realize that what I was experiencing was racism. Mm -hmm. And it would have actually been transformative for me if a teacher had sat me down and said, yeah. Right. Yo, this this is is racist. This is not normal. Yeah. How was that? Yeah, that was great. Land that plug. Yeah, you just got us like a a gig in like a school or something, I bet. (laughs) Should we do a live show in elementary school? Oh my God. I I would love that more than anything. Just let us talk to your little kids. Um, Well, shoot, Nithya, uh, is there anything else you'd like to to say or remind people of before, before we let you go? Uh, just make sure that you vote and learn about all your down ballot elections. I know it's yeah. an exciting primary moment, uh, and everyone's going. Everyone probably knows every single presidential candidate's name, but mm-hmm. they don't always know. How about this? Actually, just just uh, if I could put you on more of a spot than we've already put you on several times, um, for for just like the average listener who has maybe limited time, do you have a suggestion for the the best way to actually? like get involved or, or on a local level, maybe a little generically or specifically. Just imagine she's saying your city when she says Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think, you know, I'm going to talk about Los Angeles. Oh, I know please, it, yes. I know it, yeah, I know it most. And I think there's so many ways that you can get involved locally. And I think some of the most uh, powerful ways are really ways where you're just directly interacting with, with, with people who are experiencing homelessness. That's what I've done a lot of, and it's been incredibly rewarding. Mm-hmm. And it is the, I think the most important, you know, issue facing so many of us mm-hmm. in, in the city. Uh, but yeah, I would, there's, there's incredible organizations. Should I list them? I feel like it's not appropriate because it's not a Los Angeles specific. Oh, that's I think, okay. Please go for please it. Please list it. We have a lot of LA based listeners and yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, there's there's ways you can uh, you can get involved with a group called K Town for All, which is doing direct outreach. Sela Neighborhood Homeless Coalition, which I helped mm. co-found in the Silver Lake Los Feliz area. There's groups all over. There's a group called Resisterhood, which meets up monthly and does 
all kinds of volunteer drives for various issues, not just homelessness. There are groups, there's a ton of groups that work downtown, downtown women's center, the union missions, all of those places where you can go and volunteer your services. And if there's nothing in your neighborhood, again, I think the best thing to do is to, to do it locally. So mm -hmm. you can come out to one of these other groups, learn how they're doing it and go back to your own neighborhood and start one. I bet mm -hmm. you'd be surprised at how quickly you'll find a group of other people who want to do it with you. Yeah. I think maybe that is a thing, which is that like these these groups of people who are volunteering their time, one thing they love to do is tell you about how they did it, help you. Yeah. Um, so even truly, if you are uh, listening from somewhere besides, you know, outside of California, whatever, um, you know, little things like the people these groups follow on Twitter are, you know, Two, you know, one to three steps away from something that is much closer to you. Like the webs are interconnected, and um, you know, I think that's the thing. It's like activism is a community. People really fucking talk to each other. Often, that's all they can do. You know, mm -hmm. not often, but they, sometimes that's the main thing you can do is just spread information, yeah. spread support. Um, I mean, politics is just talking money is just you know people doing things to each other so it's all stuff you can combat by doing if you don't like it doing the opposite thing helping <laughs> someone out if someone is being victimized and you feel helpless about it on a national level guess what you can help those people in your neighborhood mm -hmm. in your you know city whatever that actually ends up being um that was good, Andrew. You should run for this. <laughs> Agree. God, he'd never nope. make it. There's too much tape. There's too oh, much tape Lordy. of him saying the the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, it's usually the wrong thing. No, but but yeah, just just to try to uh, generalize the specific a little bit for for anyone listening. But yeah, other than that, um, find those places. And again, you know, as much as we bag on things like internet and Twitter and whatever, like. Do what you can with the good parts of those webs and those people yeah, interacting and use those totally. things. Well, I mean, Twitter made me aware of you, Nithya, before um, Hayes did, or a friend of the show, Hayes Davenport, also um, talked to us about Nithya. Or before, you know, you were going to come on as a guest, like I saw your campaign video and I was like, oh, I live in Los Angeles. I should know who this person is. And I wasn't looking for the content. So yeah. that's, this is just a dumb way to say that Twitter is good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's mostly yeah. bad. I've learned a but ton sometimes from good. Twitter, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah, let the, let the tendrils of the good parts <laughs> yeah. get you and seek them out and follow them to the things that are closer to where you come from. Um, yeah. Anything else? Uh, uh, how Speaking can people of Twitter, yeah, engage oh, with yeah. you if you want them to. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter, Nithya V. Raman, N-I-T-H-Y-A is my first name. You can look me up. Um, or NithyaForTheCity.com if you want to sign up to volunteer or donate. We need a lot of money to win, unfortunately, because mm -hmm. the district is so huge. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are really, I think it's it's a really exciting race and it's a really exciting election because we're able to talk about the things that matter that nobody in LA is really talking about. So we would love for people to get involved. We're doing door-to-door -door canvassing. And we think that the way to win is mm -hmm. hundreds of volunteers Talk knocking on thousands of doors yeah. and talking to them about the issues that matter and telling them city council can change gentrification, yeah. can, can help diversity, can help keep rents down. And when you tell people that, it's so awesome, mm -hmm. you know, because people get so excited. Canvassing is fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And we're trying to get as many volunteers out to Canvas as possible. So it's it's actually a really, I mean, if you're thinking about local yeah. involvement, it's yeah. such an incredible way to get involved locally. It's yep. You get to talk to neighbors and just yeah. have conversations with them. About I will it. say the other thing yeah. for anyone apprehensive about canvassing or the idea of knocking on doors, um, this may be not the best thing to say on air. You talk to way fewer people than you think. If you're a person that's like, oh, I hate crowds or I hate talking to people, mostly you're leaving literature, so you'll be fine. You can have four conversations in an hour. So you're afternoon. saying if people are nervous about it, <laughs> yeah, or if it's not anxious, it's not as bad as you think. You're not gonna Truly. run into that many people. But yeah. hopefully you do. Yes, of course, hopefully you do. I'm just saying we just realistically. Have to say that part. We have to be like, hopefully right, you fine. do so know, that it sounds like. But it's yeah. not scary. It's it's a billion times less scary than you think. That's all. That's good. <laughs> I am do it. truly like the world's shittiest politician. It's unbelievable. I'm voting for you. Oh, it's easy. I don't care what you do run it. for. I'm going to vote for you. <laughs> um, but Nithya, thank you so much again for coming on the show. This was like, again, a treat to talk to someone who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, it is thank you for having me. It incredible. was such a pleasure to be here and way more fun than a lot of the other. <laughs> Hell don't yeah. Tell anybody. Yeah. yeah. That's we'll keep our this goal. all a secret. Yeah, this is a secret. Our goal is to be more fun than most political things you have to do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. And we're back. <clears throat> we're back. We never left you. We hardly moved we didn't move i have not shifted in my seat yikes i don't even know if i can anymore um nithya raman she was so great yeah if you live in los angeles you know consider uh voting for her check out her campaign yeah and if you don't live in los angeles or district four of los angeles i mean i think the most important thing is you know Inequality is everywhere. It's being exacerbated. And every ounce of helplessness you feel about how things are going nationally and globally, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, you can at least make a difference locally. Mm-hmm. Somehow. Yep. And vote for Andrew T. Uh, <laughs> in 2046. Just fucking do it. Who cares? I'm running for president of the pile of rocks. That's your slogan. Just fucking do it. Who cares? I'm running for president of the pile of rocks. Um, what else do we say? <laughs> we say thank you for calling in. Thank you for your mm-hmm. voicemails. Thank you for liking us. Mm-hmm. Um, we say please call in. 323-389-7223. That's 323-389-RACE. We say um, you can find me at Trondy Newman mm-hmm. on all the things. Mm-hmm. You can find Andrew him at T. Andrew T. Last name is spelled T-I. Uh-huh. Yo, is this racist? Uh-huh. You can find us there. Um, it's weird to not have other things to announce. Podswag.com slash yo. Get yeah. some t-shirts. I mean, hey, if you have a family member who went as a blackface character, yeah. <laughs> buy a shirt to uh, carbon footprint there <laughs> to erase their blackface yeah, carbon racist, footprint. Yeah, racist footprint them. <laughs> Wow. Does that track? Who cares? We have to go. Bye. Peace. Podswag has all the podcast paraphernalia you could ever hope for, like t-shirts, pins, bags, hats, candles, and special holiday collections. This holiday season, give the gift of Podswag by shopping their Black Friday sale. You can get 40% off from Friday, November 29th 
through Sunday, December 1st. Just go to podswag.com and use the code Black Friday for 40% off the majority of items. That's podswag.com, offer code Black Friday. <laughs> 